Glory to God. God is good. Amen. Amen. You know, I was talking about, just was reminded of it and as I was getting into prayer there. Um, you know, I was in conversation with someone this week who's gone through quite a bit in the last few years. Uh, uh, you know, the man is, a, um, I consider him a friend of mine, not necessarily, he's not, I don't believe as a churchgoer or anything like that, but I haven't connected to him just, <clears throat> just for the sake of, you know, some kind of agenda or anything. I just connected to him because he's been on my heart. And, uh, you know, he was telling me about a friend of his that, that, that came to see him and, and uh, you know, asked him how he was getting through the stuff that he, he was having to get through himself. And, uh, you know, at first he didn't even realize what the man was talking about. But the man is lost. The man is hurting. You know, and it just dawned on me as he was telling me the story. Dear Jesus, how many people are out there that just don't know the way? I mean, it was something that we get. So we, we have every week. We get fed the word. We get multiple times a week. We have all these outlets and all these inlets and inroads into the Heavenly Father, into that place. And how we can take that for granted that there's so many people out there. And you might sit there and wonder, like I do, how do we reach those people? Well, the first step is caring about it. Wanting to reach them, desiring, hey, that reaching people is more important than my agenda. And if you'll do that, it doesn't mean that you actually end up doing anything right in that moment. But if you start changing and get into that mindset, you wait and see how God will start influencing you and to do those things. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, with that, we're getting to today's message, which is part two of yet another series. I'm becoming uh, the uh, known as the I'm going to be known as the series guy from now on. Praise the Lord. Because we have all these series. I even did a series in Corey the last two weeks. So it's like there's series here and series there. You know, we're just doing all these things. But you know, the Lord's just got, there's just stuff on my heart. And I realize that I don't have to try to get it all out in one week. But it is important for us to, to break into those things and get into what God has for us. Amen. He's got a lot of things for us. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of knowledge out there. So much knowledge that I don't have. Glory to God. But, uh, but that which I do have, I endeavor to put in you. And, and, and just so you know, I endeavor to put more in me all the time. And so if I can outpace what I put out by putting in, then we should be pretty good. Amen. We, we should be have enough to last us until Jesus uh, comes back. Amen. But uh, uh, yeah, we are. I, I'm preaching on sin, hell and redemption. And this series uh, all revolves around that really revolves around the concept of hell because the Lord has been dealing with me for well over a year about preaching on hell and explaining to people what it really is. See, people need to understand what hell is. So many people don't understand what it is. In fact, I, I, uh, I heard a, a clip of something, and not that I listened to this music, but I heard a clip of something, and, and it was a song, a real famous song, and you might, you, you, you probably, most of you will know, know the song, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what it is. The song was called Highway to Hell. Does anyone remember that song? It came out in, uh, I, I guess, the 70s. It was by a band named ACDC. You know, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I was well aware of the song. I have heard it, uh, heard it many times. But, you know, I just, I just had this kind of unction. I didn't even know for this message. It just came up again to me now, so I'm, I'm sharing it with you. This is hot off the presses. Amen. And so, uh, uh, you, you know, that song, uh, you know something? Before I get into the message, though, I have endeavored to do something in this time, right? We started this last week. And so I don't want to skip that because that's the happy part of the service. And so I'm going to get back into it. So remind me about the highway to hell here in a moment if I forget. Glory to God. But I wanted to remind you, just in the right time, I had gotten this packet of papers that came from my grandmother. My grandmother was a faithful woman of God. She, her, her husband was a pastor, and her, her father was a pastor as well. And so she was well-churched. Uh, well she understood church and church things. And she, get, uh, and she had this packet of papers of, uh, uh, that, that had a listing of things that were actually found in church bulletins. Amen? These were actual uh, things that were, you know, in the no, the the, the announcements part of the church bulletins that people had put in there and they were kind of funny and somebody had collected them over the years and I, I got a glimpse into my grandmother's personality especially because she had a star behind beside the ones I'm assuming she liked a lot. Amen? And so I wanted to share a few more. I shared four with you last week. I'm going to share four with you this week uh, j just uh, before we get into sin, hell, and redemption. Hallelujah. Actual church bulletins. So again, these were actually found in church, church bulletins. Okay, number one. You ready? Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those, uh, those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. <laughs> That's a good one, amen? 
Hallelujah. You know, sometimes it's just in the wording, but man, people, where is it? Praise God. Hallelujah. Number two. You know, actually, that's one of the things I used to hate about having rummage sales or not those types of things because people would just bring the junk, you know. I remember the Jamestown Church, I think the youth were going to have a, a rummage sale once, and they, so they were asking for donations, and I think there was four weed whackers that were donated. That was really nice, you know. Four weed whackers that didn't work were donated to the church, uh, praise the Lord, to, sell for, to throw in the dumpster later on because, of course, nobody wants to buy a weed whacker that doesn't work. Nobody wants to buy a weed whacker that works, much less one that doesn't work, amen. <laughs> Number two, don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. Yeah, that's a good one. Don't let worry kill you off. <laughs> Praise God, hallelujah. Number three, Miss Charlene Mason saying, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. I will not pass this way again. She sang it, and boy, it just, we're pleased she ain't coming back. Hallelujah. Number four. <laughs> I love this one. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. <laughs> Man, I just love these, you know. Praise God. Hallelujah. And this is why, this is why we don't do church. Maybe we should do church bulletins again. That's it. It sounds fun. Amen. So anyways, back to the story, or the, the, the message at hand, we're talking about hell, uh, sin, hell, and redemption, you know, and the purpose I started this, I was, uh, I, I couldn't preach about hell without preaching about sin, and also I didn't want to end it on sin and hell, but I wanted to get to redemption because there is something to rejoice of over in, in these things. But we need to understand it, and that's, that's why, why, why I started with that song about Highway to Hell, because uh, I decided to look up the lyrics, and I did, and you know, and I was looking up at the lyrics, and, and basically the, the, the attitude of the song or the idea of the song is, uh, you know, that basically that all my friends are going to be in hell, I'm going to be in hell because of the way that I live. We live this, this, this rough lifestyle, this party lifestyle and all this stuff, and so we're going to end up in hell, but that's the place where all me and my friends are going to be, and so that we're, 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 we're just going to be excited about it, you know, almost making hell like, the, like a, a party alternative to heaven, like heaven is for the goody goodies, you know, the people. But you know, that's not what it's like. But the problem is, and the reason that I brought that song up is because really that's a mindset in a lot of the world. They think hell is this thing to joke around about. They think hell is this thing about, you know, um, uh, 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 you know, to, to, well, this is just where the tough people go or the rough people go or the, and, and you understand that that's not the truth at all. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a real place. It's a place of torment. And if we truly understood what hell is, we would be a a lot more uh, uh, excited about preaching the gospel. And we would understand why preachers preach the gospel. We would understand why pe Christians are as goofy as they are, all wrapped up in this stuff, and why we want to lead people towards God. But you know, even the church has done a disservice over the years because the church hasn't really, you know, church has made sin about just the do's and do or the, the don'ts, that you, the things that you don't do because it ticks God off. And in ticking God off, you make this angry God just angrier and he's just going to send you to hell. And that's wrong too. And so my, my purpose in bringing this to us is to give at least this church and anyone who might listen online a good understanding of what these things are all about so that when we talk to people, we actually have a place uh, for us to, uh, a, 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 a platform to stand on where we're not going to be like, you know, embarrassed and stuff like that. But even more so, we need to understand this for ourselves. We need to understand what sin is all about and why it is. Because when you understand what sin, and actually I, I found out in the shower this morning that I will be going on a, a third week of, of, of sin. And because God gave me some very specific direction on, on a third week. So I know that I'm going to go on to at least a third week of talking about sin. Next week is not one you're going to want to miss. It's, it's going to be, I mean, I'll think you should want to miss any of them, but 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 really, uh, next week's is really going to be getting good because this actually next week's will really touch on on the issue with with churches and and Christians and why Christians. Uh, what, really, why they get deceived and how they get deceived, and and, and we're uh, and, and how it uh, the 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 it seems like things fail for them. But we'll get into all that next week. Amen. Praise the Lord. So um, last week we started over there in Romans five eight, and I just want to bring it up again real quick, just uh, just to remind you of it. 
Um, because this is the first thing when we're talking about these things that we have to understand. I think this is a real good uh, foundational, uh, uh, foundational thing, a foundation to build this me these messages on. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see this, that God's, God's purpose towards us is love. So it's not that God wants people in hell. We have to understand that. Because what did he do? He demonstrated, and I love this. I, I, you know, I had mentioned this before uh, another time when I would used this scripture. Um, but it just came up to me again as I re-looked at the scripture. that God. It says that God demonstrates. It doesn't say God demonstrated. It said that God demonstrates. And I love that because the act of what Jesus did for us, the, his saving, uh, you know, his willingness to go for, to the cross and save us, uh, that is a continual demonstration for us. It's something that will continue through all history. It's a, a continual demonstration of God's love for us. He demonstrates his love for us in what he did. Amen? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I said it this way, and, and, and I just want to remind you of that, that when you were at your worst of your worst, the worst thing that you'll ever do in your entire life, you might not have even done it yet, but the worst thing that you've ever done in your entire life, that's the point where Christ died for you. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The, the, in your worst, even if you hadn't accomplished the worst that you could possibly do, right? That's the place where Christ died for you. Do you understand that Christ died? I'm going to say something really controversial, but Christ, Christ died for Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And out of all the atrocities that he committed, according to the standard of Scripture, Christ died for him at that point. Now, that does not mean he's in heaven. I don't believe that he is. Why? Because he was completely unrepentant. He never came to Jesus, right? But that doesn't change the fact that Hitler, that he died for Hitler. I know, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? The worst of the worst, the worst people that you can think of, the worst thing that they would ever do, that's the point where Jesus died for them. And Jesus died for every single human to give every sing single human access. Now you might say, you know, you, people might have, there's a lot of theology behind that. We're not getting into that today. But I wanted to throw that out there to just give you that point of reference. Like, listen, God was serious about this salvation thing. He was serious about it. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So with that in mind, we're going to jump off this week into the first thing we have to get into. And I'm hoping to finish this week's message. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. There's probably going to be quite a few definitions I'm going to give you today. Uh, but turn with me to Romans 5. Well, we were in Romans 5 there, Romans 5, 8. Now we're going down to, all the way down to verse 12. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Remember, the purpose of these messages are not to condemn, <clears throat> condemn anybody, but to give us hope, to give us, to give us a, 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 a solid foundation for our faith. See, because if you don't understand what you were saved from, you're not going to understand what God did, the, the, the price and what get, which God paid. Amen? But we want to understand that. We want to, uh, and, and listen, if you're not a Christian, you know, if you've never known any of this stuff, if you're just like, you know, I, I, I didn't hear anything. Listen, listen carefully, because this is what God has done for you. Yeah. Amen, that he saved you from this. But we have to understand uh, that, that sin is not just a, uh, it's not just a list of rules that God hates uh, so to keep us from having fun. Right. That's not what sin is. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. It says here in Romans 5, 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And so we see this truth here, that sin entered through one man. That was Adam, when Adam sinned. Amen. But uh, uh, death through sin <clears throat> uh, also entered the world. Okay? Now, um, there's a few things I want you to understand here before I get into explaining this more. Number one, when it says entered the world, uh, we have to understand that sin was present in, on the earth before Adam and Eve were. Okay? This scripture, when it says the world, there's an understanding of terms here that you need to understand. The world, the word world literally means, and this is the, the mindset that's in it or behind it, the inhabitants of the earth men or the human family, okay? So when we see that, we can understand that through one man's sin, sin entered into humanity, yeah. 
okay? The, the, when it says world, what it's referring to is the world of humanity. It doesn't mean that it was never on the earth because Satan, we knew, sinned before Adam did, right? And that happened sometime before Adam sinned. And so uh, we can't say that it just entered there, amen? But we also need to understand... Um, well, I'll get to this in a minute about what sin is. But it says sin entered and then death through sin. And so this is the first thing that I want us to see here. We have to understand. See, a lot of people think that when someone dies, it's because God pulls the plug on them. You know, it's time to we're gonna pull the plug, they die. But that's not what the Bible says happens. Sin causes death. Death is a result of sin. Always. Now, that doesn't mean specifically that you have had to have sinned a certain way in order to cause death. In other words, when someone dies, you don't go to the, the funeral and say, well, guess they were sinning too big this week. You know, you don't do things like that because that's not what it's talking about. But again, when we think of it in context of the context, sin entering the world, death entered the world, the, the, the life of humanity or the world of humanity through sin. And so we understand that what sin did is it ushered in this thing called death. Do you know that God created mankind without the intent that they would ever die? I said God created mankind without the intent they would ever die. And so it's, when somebody dies, you cannot say right and be right by saying it. I guess God just needed another angel or God just wanted to call another one home or something like that. That's not truth. It's, that's, that's error. I don't know where specifically that was birthed, but it has gotten into Christians as much as it has anyone else. God is not calling people home every time someone dies. That people are dying. Now listen, that doesn't mean God does not call him to themselves. Of course, those who are saved will be called unto God, and that's a wonderful thing. So that aspect of it is truth. But just the fact that someone dies doesn't mean that God needed them. That's foolishness. God doesn't need, he doesn't need people in heaven. He needs people here to be saved doing what saved people do. Amen? Glory to God. And so we have to understand, like, in this may, I, I, I can sense even a little bit this morning that some of this might be going against your theology, but I'm just telling you, if it's going against your theology, that's because your theology wasn't firmly founded in Scripture. And I'm not saying this to, to, to come down on you or to hurt you, but you see, there's some things we have to learn that we have to change. Actually, the Lord was showing me that this morning as my wife was preaching or sharing John 8, 31 and 32, that if you continue in my word. See, the problem with so many Christians, they don't continue in the word. They don't continue in truth. They don't keep learning. They don't keep growing in the word, in the truth. What they do is they allow tradition to become their religion. And then that's what it is. And, it, and a lot of times tradition takes people so far away from God that you can't even see God. And then they wonder why people don't want to keep, keep staying part of it. Why do you think churches die off? Why do, you, why do you think religion dies off or different denominations die off? It's because they're not following God. If you follow God, there's... See, God is life. And we're going to get into that some more. Amen? But uh, through one man, sin entered into humanity and death through sin came into humanity. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay? Now, the word sin is another word I'm going to define for you. Literally, it means to be without a share in. I like that. To be without a share in. Let me try to explain this a little bit, a little bit better. To be without a share in. If, um, if we enter into an agreement, say, uh, say, say I, uh, I start a business and I sell shares to, of that business. In other words, I, I sell a portion of that off. That's what the stock market is all about, right? They're selling or partially about anyway. I'm, I'm not going to get into this because I found out how wrong I was about football the last time I preached about it. So, so I'm not going to preach about something else I don't understand. But in essence, you know, companies will sell shares to gain money, to be able to have money to do things. But then those people who buy shares or a portion of the business, they are what's called a shareholder. And that shareholder owns part of that business. And there's different rights that you get. And if you have enough shares, you get certain say, you get a certain part. If there's uh, actually money made. Sometimes if you're a shareholder, you'll get portions of that money. In fact, I have friends that, that, that partially live off their shares and the money that that generates. Amen? Yeah. 
That's a pretty exciting thing, right? I wish I had listened to him when we were in school together. Chris, if you're out there listening to me and you, and, and, and you, and you hear this, uh, praise the Lord. I wish I had listened to you better back then, brother. But, uh, but we're good friends now, so we can share in that. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. But, uh, you, you know, what I'm saying is, is that there's, you know, that's a, it's a part that you share in, that you partake of those things or the profits of those things. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. And so uh, to be uh, without a share in sin is essentially meaning that you don't get to share what is God's. And the reason is, is because sin is, is a voluntary action. Sin is not something that we happen to stumble across. You can stumble into sin, but by and large, sin is a choice. Amen. And so it's to be without a share in. Or it also means to wander from the law of God or to violate God's law. Literally, that's what sin is. So sin is not about not having fun or about having fun. It's about violating the law of God. Now, if God loved us so much that in the worst of the worst, at the worst time in our lives, is the point he chose as a reference to die for us. In other words, he looked at the worst point of our life and said, I'll die for him anyways. I'm going to give it all up for him anyways, right? It, or give it all for them anyways. If, if he looked at us there, then why would we think if he commanded us something, if he gave us a law, would it be something that would be bad for us? Right. Yeah. Parents, you can understand this. Kids, you might not understand it as much, but you can process it if you think about it rationally. If I tell my son or my child not to touch a hot stove, <clears throat> I'm not telling them that because I don't want them to enjoy the stove. I'm say, saying that because I want to protect them from something that's coming. And the same thing is with sin. God didn't give us laws against, uh, against things because of what, uh, because of what uh, he wanted to keep us out of that we wouldn't partake of. But he did that so that we could partake of his life and not be caught up in things that cause destruction. In other words, God knew that sin was going... God did not create sin, by the way. God did not create sin. God created truth, and the opposite of that, it's like if I give you truth, just by uh, the, the fact of me giving you truth doesn't mean that I also uh, support lies, right? If I give you truth, it's because I want you to have the truth. Now, if somebody chooses to lie, you can't stop, you know, you can't necessarily change that, but that doesn't mean that I, because I gave you truth, now I'm supporting lies as well. And the same thing goes with evil, goes with sin, and all these things. God did not create those things. Amen. So if we understand that, we can understand a lot of things, about, a lot more things about God and what he's doing here. So when God's law says not to do something, there's purpose to it. It's to protect us. It's to help us. It's for our betterment. Amen. Glory to God. Sometimes you have to correct children in a way that isn't, is, actually one of the biggest problems my wife is facing is the fact that nobody wants to correct children anymore. The parents, this, this is happening, but the parents are not correcting children. The parents are actually encouraging the children to go to school and act just as dumb as they're acting. And then they wonder why the downfall of society. You can't tell a kid, listen, the Bible tells us the truth, that the foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. When you give a child free reign to do whatever they want to do, they ain't choosing right. Listen, this is, just, this is just a clue for you. But what we have is we have a lot of, a lot of people raising kids that have no business raising kids. They're sending them to schools and tell them to do whatever they want to do. You don't have to listen to your teacher. You don't have to do this and do that. Do you understand that there's, there's, there's kids in schools today that think nothing of cussing a teacher out? When I say cussing a teacher out, using every, every word that you can possibly imagine and directing it at the teacher. That's the truth. This is actually happening. But you know why? Because that's acceptable in society. Parents have no, they, they, there's no, there's no, uh, there, 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 there's no, uh, uh, what's the word? Restriction. There's no restraint. Even in the mouths of parents, they, they sit there and, uh, you know, they talk to their kids like they're at a bar. Yeah. Yeah. Swearing at them and all this stuff and swearing around them and they think it's all funny. Yeah. They think it's funny. And then they go to school and the kids, kids are acting like jack wagons in school and the parents are like, well, it's the teacher's fault. 
Listen, I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I know that there's a lot of teachers out there that, 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 that I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but I'm telling you right now, and I know this full hand, because my wife, my wife loves being a teacher. She loves students. She does it for that. And most, probably 90% of people, at least, that are in that field are in that field because they want to teach kids. They care about kids. They might not always know the perfect things, but that's what they want to do it for. Listen, it's not the teacher's fault. I said it's not the teacher's fault. So stop blaming teachers. Stop, uh, uh, forgive me if I get on a soapbox for a minute. But it's just the truth. When kids are acting, and, and here's the truth, when they get into the real world, they're going to find it doesn't work that way. But, uh, and what we're seeing is, you know, you wonder why people, kids are thinking nothing of going in and doing horrific things, horrific things in, in, in schools. Uh, my, my wife uh, was given a, uh, this one teacher, uh, in, it wasn't around here, but it was uh, in Iowa, this one teacher, a Spanish teacher, two students followed her home and killed her because of their grades. Why do kids feel like they can get away with that? Because there's no discipline. Do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you feel good. Do whatever, you know, and they're finding that these, the, well, praise God, hallelujah, I get back on sin here. But uh, that's what it is. You're teaching your kids how to sin, embrace sin, and then you're wondering why death is the result. And the same thing is with the world, because the, 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 the you know, the administrations don't know what to do with these things. They don't, they're tired of fighting the teachers and, and all this stuff. And what you're going to do is you're going to end up losing good teachers and having nothing left. But... But at any rate, uh, uh, to understand sin, though, we have to go back to the garden. And, and, and that's the place where we understand what, uh, where we first see sin. Amen? We, where we first see it in the human race occur. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So turn with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Praise the Lord. Kids have to have boundaries, and if you won't give them boundaries, people have to have boundaries, not just kids. See, and this is one of the problems, is that most adults don't have boundaries, so it's no wonder that they, they, they have no boundaries for the kids. You know, things like marriage are, are, are thrown out, like is not being important. People sleeping around, hopping from household to household, or bed to bed, and thinking nothing of it. Uh, and the parents are doing this, by the way. Parents thinking nothing of, you know, I, I, can't, I won't have a stable relationship, or I won't find somebody to have a stable relationship. And, and then they're wondering why their kids are acting out. And the reason why their kids are acting out is because all you've shown them is instability. Now, if you've been in that, I'm not, not just coming down on you, but there is a point that we have to stop this nonsense. Listen, uh, you, you know, if you, uh, uh, like ladies, if you marry a guy just because he's tough or good looking or because he's kind of a bad guy, well, then don't be surprised when it comes back to bite you later on. And, and on the, verse, uh, the, the, the reverse side, if you're, just, if you're just marrying because it's somebody that you're attracted to, but you're not considering uh, like how they live their lives and the things that they do, or you're not considering this. How about this? How about not getting married if you can't find somebody who is going to, who is actually going to act right? How about that? You know, see, there's, there's these, these, these things. And the reason I come on this is not to just throw a bunch of things at you and come down on a bunch of people. The reason I'm saying this is we have to get the thinking in this world back to the things of God. If you live a life of hell on earth, then if you have children, those children are going to live a life of hell on earth and nothing is going to be in control. In fact, this world is getting spiraling out of control because we've left the law of God. We've embraced sin. We've embraced the things of sin and allowed it even to be prevalent in the church. Yeah. Instead of looking at things and saying, listen, this is wrong because it's bad, we try to justify everything that's wrong. Yeah. Unstable relationships. And listen, oh, praise God, hallelujah. I don't want to get on a soapbox on my own, but if the Lord lifts me up on one, praise the Lord, I'll take it. <laughs> so I'm just being careful, but you know, I'll, I'll say it. I'll, I'll say it all, because I'm not, listen, we, we, have to, uh, we, we have to be, man, we have to get over ourselves. We have to start realizing that there is a truth to, think, to, to higher knowledge and higher power. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Glory to God. Now, in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, it says here, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Amen. And so we see the commandment. Now, there's been, again, and I've said this, there's been lots of arguments over why 
the tree of, a lot of people call it the tree of knowledge. This is another religious thing that has killed the kind of uh, our witness in the world. It's the tree of knowledge. It's not what it says. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we have to understand what the tree of knowledge, uh, to a degree, we're given a little bit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God is not against us having knowledge. God loves us having knowledge. God's purpose of giving us this book that has lasted thousands of years, and by the way, the, 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 the text goes back thousands of years, so it's not, and they only make more discoveries all the time, so if you're saying, oh, it's been rewritten years over years and years and years, that's just not truth. That's another one of those blanket statements that people in the world make that have no idea what they're talking about. I said they have no idea what they're talking about. Well, praise the Lord. We're just presenting truth here this morning. But, uh, uh, um, but uh, it's called the, knowledge of the, the, tr the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, does that mean it had good and evil fruit? What kind of fruit did it have? Some people think it was an apple. It wasn't an apple. It, you know, I, I, I don't think that the purpose of the tree or what the tree exactly looked like, you know, was it dark wood or light wood? Was it hard wood? Was it soft wood? Was it, was, did it lose its leaves in the wintertime or did it have needles like a pine tree? Or was it like a dawn redwood that loses its needles in the wintertime? You see what I mean? There's like all different kinds. I have one of those on my property. That's the only reason I know. But, you know, there's all kinds of things that people get wrapped up in it's like, that's not the point. See, we have to get, we have to get, we have to look for the point that's being made. The point wasn't the tree. The point was the command. God doesn't give commands just willy-nilly because, oh, I want to see him suffer today. He said of every tree that's in the garden, and we understand this about the garden, that the garden was made beautiful. It was made full. It was made lush. It had so many different kinds of trees and fruit and things to eat and things to partake of. God was not withholding something from people. But there was purpose to it. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. And there was purpose in the commandment. Sometimes, if you're like me, you push back against the commandment just a little bit, don't you? If someone tells you not to do it, you're going to do it anyways. Praise the Lord. How many times did I did that? Well, I did that freely up until I was about 26, 27, 28 years old and realized it was about to kill me, so I had to go a different way. Yeah. And then I started learning how not to do that. Now I push back a lot less. So much so, actually, that I, I, I'm a, ruler, a rule follower in the stupidest of places. <laughs> like, listen, you don't even have to tell me not to walk on someone else's lawn. I just won't. Because that's kind of a commonly understood thing. Now, a lot of people think that they just have a right to walk on. You know why they have the, feel like they have the right? Because they don't mind breaking laws. They don't mind breaking rules. They don't mind uh, uh, thinking that they have access to everything. See, they've created a narrative that's all about them, and then you wonder why they live in sin. Embracing the, well, praise God. Hallelujah. Now, what happens if a, a, a generation of people grow up thinking that they can do this, and then they ra start raising kids? And so then, then they just raise them with, you do what you want to do, honey. Whatever's on your heart. They're like, this stupid. Well, you know, Charles Manson's mom might have told him that. Do whatever, whatever's on your heart. But that's not exactly a good thing to live, live by when you're Charles Manson. But you think that your little brat ain't Charles Manson? I'm a, no, I mean, seriously, what's the, what, what's, what separates somebody from that? Do you know if, if, if uh, uh, somebody was raised in a nurturing, loving household? You know, by the way, Charles Manson's mom was in prison a lot. You don't think it passes down? Of course it does. You know, the, the, these are just things. That we have to understand that, that, that sin was not about keeping us from having fun. But sin had definite consequences to it. Yeah. Amen. Now I want to go down to verse 3, and we're still on this because we're still in this narrative. We're just skipping down a few. Or chapter 3, verse 1, I'm sorry. And this is what was called, in my Bible, is called the fall of man. And so we see it here, and it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now, I want to stop here, and we're going to we're going to get into a little bit of, a little bit of defining, a little bit to understand things. Again, this is another. We're going to get back to the sin and why the sin and everything. Hopefully, I'll do it in this this service. But uh, as we're looking at this, first, you know, we, we, people commonly look at this. They see now that it says the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And so you you there's a tendency in people's minds. Now you have to remember. 
The Bible that we have was translated from a language that we don't speak. The Bible we have was translated from a language that we don't speak. Any Greek, Hebrew speakers in here? I didn't think so. Amen? Praise the Lord. Were you raising your hand, Sam, or were you just wiping? Okay. I was just making sure Simeon's not. You're not making me a liar. Praise the Lord. I was like, oh, does he speak Greek or Hebrew? Did you do something out back there in Westfield I don't know about? Hallelujah. So we have to understand that, that, that there can be ideas of things sometimes that are lost in translation. And this is the importance of study of the word. See, if you open the word, you can get it, you can read things, but you, you're not going to understand everything. If I just give you a Bible for the first time and you just start reading through it, you're going to see a lot of stuff that you ain't going to understand. How do I know that? Because I've been studying it. I've been making a practice of preaching it. Now, uh, uh, nine years, praise the Lord. And I'm telling you, I haven't even touched. There's a lot of things in here I don't understand. Yeah. Amen? But we don't need to understand everything to be able to understand God. But we do need to understand some things. And when we look at this, we're seeing a link. This does not mean that God created a serpent to go into the garden to deceive them. And he purposely put something in there that they would want that they couldn't have. See, this is how people look at the Garden of Eden. And this is wrong. It's a wrong narrative. That's not what God did. He didn't create this garden, put this tree in there that was more tempting than all the other trees, said don't touch it, and then he sends in the enemy to come in, come behind them and tempt them to do it just so they'll sin so he can send them to hell. And this is how people think about our God. And a lot of Christians can't explain their way out of wet paper bag. Right? They can't, they, they, they can't fight their way out of a wet paper bag in dealing with the word, so they have no idea. Now, this word serpent, it is a very specific word, and it does mean serpent, can be used for snakes. Um, but this word also comes up, or, or not this word, but this idea, this translation, comes up at different times throughout Scripture. And of course, I want to bring up, I think you have them in there, Isaiah 6, 6. says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. Now, of course, a lot of people would understand this to be an angel. I don't believe it's an angel. Ouch. I don't think cherubim and seraphim are angels. Just, but uh, that's for a di different day. That's uh, maybe a freebie. You ask me about it later if you want. But this seraphim, this word seraphim, is, can also be translated as serpent. Here we know it as being a being. Now, uh, 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 I want to bring up one other place uh, in Mark 16, 18, before I just go into this further. Mark 16, 18, of course, we all know this, uh, or some of us know it anyways. Uh, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. This is talking about people who believe, uh, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. But they will pick up serpents. Now, we know, I actually know, I know where it is. I have it marked on my maps because I want to drive by it someday. I don't want to go there. But there is this one church down in, in, in West Virginia that is a snake-handling church. The, the, the pastor who, I guess, had founded the church, his son uh, uh, is the pastor of the church now. And you know why he's the pastor? Because his dad picked up a snake, it bit him, and he died. Yeah. And so he still picks up snakes. He didn't learn from his daddy's mistake. There are people, this is a real thing, they think that because the Bible says this, that this is what we are to do. That is a, mis, a grossly misunderstood interpretation of the word. To the ancient people, people back, you know, any time over, you know, we can say thousands of years ago, to ancient people, uh, the serpent was an emblem of cunning and wisdom. And the serpent uh, was often regarded by the Jews as the devil, or the Jews regarded the devil as a serpent. And so the idea, the translation, they were saying it in their language the way that they understand. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever noticed that there's language variations even in our language? Listen to the kids speak today. There's all kinds of words in kids speak. I have no idea what they're saying anymore. And I don't even think I'm that old. But I hear things the kids are saying, and I'm like, well, what is that? And then, you know, I had things like that, too, that we said, you know. We used to say, actually, when I was growing up, one of the words that we loved to use was wicked. Oh, man, that's wicked. And it didn't mean bad. It meant good. And so when I was growing up, I only knew wicked as being good, right? But we understand, of course, if you, if you haven't understood, that's just a, 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 an interpretive, yeah, a twist on the word. 
when actually the word wicked means twisted, if you didn't know. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a, well, but anyways, um, at least in some places in scripture it does. So, but yeah, so it's a twist on the word. And so we understand that. So it's not like what I'm trying to get over to you is this. When we look at the scripture, don't get tripped up by things that don't make sense, like a talking serpent that God created to deceive Adam and Eve and throwing it in the garden. Don't get tripped up over stuff like that. See, that's the kind of things that people try to fight. If you have a King James Version of the Bible, if you look in there, if you look up in a, in a concordance, you will find there are several places, I think at least four or five places, in the King James Version of the Bible that talks about unicorns. We know unicorns aren't real. They knew unicorns weren't real. Because the unicorns that we think of and the unicorns that appeared in the Bible are not the same thing. If you look up an 1800s dictionary, a unicorn was literally a rhinoceros. It was the same thing as what they called it, or one of the words they used to call it. And so the reason I say all this, I know this is a little bit teachy, but I want you to get some knowledge of things, to get some understanding in things, of, 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 of that this isn't just some weird ancient book that doesn't apply anymore. No, we have to import the understanding into our modern understanding. Amen? So go ahead and go back there. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And literally, again, beast of the field, any creation or any uh, thing that God made, is uh, any creature that God made. Now, that God made uh, this being does not equate to this being acting the way that it does. And that's another thing that we need to understand here. God created nothing to be evil. He didn't create anything to be, uh, to, to be against, uh, you know, uh, against us or to, to tear us down or to tempt us. God didn't do that. In fact, James tells us that God does not tempt anyone. Um, but we understand that temptation is had in the flesh when we are drawn away by our own desires. Amen? And so, uh, uh, so, so when we're looking at sin, and we look at Adam and Eve's sin, we first have to understand that, that the serpent is not uh, an attempt at God to, to test his people. To, to, you know what I mean? To put them through trial or to make them sin. But, uh, and I find this interesting, and I can't prove it other than the words that are written, but it says here, And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The word indeed is an interesting word. It actually kind of gives the, the idea that there was more of a conversation that was had. <clears throat> because if you actually look this up in, 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 the, in the original language, what it was saying is, is like, uh, it was almost like a continuation of a conversation. Yeah. And so what, what, what does that all matter? It doesn't matter for anything other than to say that the serpent didn't just, uh, this, this serpent, this snake didn't just show up out of a tree out of the blue and say, hey, did God really say this? Right. Amen. Praise the Lord. And you know this if you've dealt with temptation and you've thought of it. How does temptation happen? Temptation first starts as maybe a little thought. Maybe it starts as a picture. Picture. Maybe it starts as of words that somebody else says that enters into your mind. And then it starts going and building from there. You understand, like, there, there, there's a process. of Yes, they have a beginning point. But we, we see this here as we start unpacking this. Amen? Has, and then he, but what he does is he first goes, and you'll notice this, the, the enemy, the opposition, first goes to attack the words of the Lord. The thing that God said. You see, and, and we see this throughout the whole narrative. We're going to see this a little bit as we get into it. That the words that he's attacking is not even... Uh, just attacking the words that God said, but he's actually attacking the motive from which God said it. What have you noticed about our society today? They don't just attack what you say. They don't just question what you say, but now we go into motives. Now, you may not have liked our former president, and if you didn't, that's okay, I understand. But I remember early on when he was campaigning, he said something and what he said, I remember very clearly saying, and he knew the point that he was saying it, but I watched the media take that thing that he said. Now, listen, President Trump said a lot of stupid things. He continues to say a lot of stupid things. 
But so do all politicians, yes, and a lot of people, most Americans do. But the point, the point is, is this became a narrative based on that, that, that became a big thing in our society. And I want to point this out to you because I think it very much applies here. They took this thing that he said and they twisted it to mean something that he wasn't saying and they perpetuated it as that and then they started calling him a racist. He's saying that he was a racist because he said this thing. But that thing he was saying, he wasn't saying it to be a racist. And when he explained, even explained it, but of course you never heard that on the news. I'm not backing up what he did, but I am backing up this one point because it was dumb. And actually they did this several times throughout his presidency. News agents, because they knew if they twisted it a certain way, they could get people mad at him and stirred against him. And then what happened? We saw all these different kinds of narratives, these riots and all these different things rise up because these people are obviously racist. You've got to be racist because you said this or you thought this way. See, listen, you can't take one one thing somebody says, or you can't take what somebody says and import your own narrative and say this is what they were thinking when they did it. You can't do that. You cannot do that. It's wrong. But that's exactly the tactics that the devil has always used from the beginning of humanity. As he twists the narrative in people's minds, he gets you to think that somebody else is thinking something that they're not, and twist it to the point where nobody knows what's really going on. And that's exactly what he did with God. He said, listen, did God say you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Like he didn't even go right to the tree. He knew full well what had, what had, what had uh, transpired. But he said, did God say you can't eat from any tree? And they're like, well, yeah, there's one. And we'll get into that here, right? Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, from the, free, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall, not eat, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, uh, Praise the Lord. When the, uh, so, so we see here, he questions God's motive. He's questioning God's motive to people. Well, see, why would God tell you? Because he knows that you'll be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. See, he's trying to put, bring God down on a human level. If you haven't noticed, that's what a lot of people do. Actually, what a lot of people do is they try to exalt themselves to God-like level. I know more than God, so I'm going to live this way. God's word clearly says this, but I'm going to do this because I know more than God. Now, you may not say that, but you're saying it in your actions. Yeah. As you step out, as you reject and resist the word, as you won't submit to God's word, hallelujah, the truth that's in the Bible. If you continue in your word, you'll be free. If you continue in his word, you'll be free. But see, if you reject and resist, you won't. The devil knows that. He wants to get you in bondage. And that's exactly why he stirs you up towards that. Amen. But then look what happens here. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he, and, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Praise the Lord. And so we see what's going on here. As soon as she took what was being said to her and embraced it, she entered into sin. She entered into that sin because as soon as she, as soon as she listened to that thing that was going on, she was, that, that's when it wasn't, see, the, people put so much emphasis on the tree. Why the tree was forbidden is not really fully known. And it's probably, in all honesty, not, not that important. The knowledge Adam and Eve gained was what it was going to be like to be separated from God. See, up until that point, they weren't separate from God. Now, let me ask you this. When we consider the tree, is God petty? Do you know what I mean? Is he just like, I'm going to bless you with everything. And if you'll read the narratives before that, you're going to see God's, a, he talks about all this stuff I'm going to bless you with. I'm going to give you all this stuff. I'm going to put you in this place. I'm going to bless you with things that you can't imagine, essentially. All these things belong to you, and I'm giving you authority. I'm putting you in this place. But don't touch this one thing. Was God being petty? He say, I'm giving you all this stuff. Look how much I give. But not that. See, it's not that. God isn't petty. <clears throat> In man's willingness for disobedience, he separated himself from God. And that's what happened in the garden. 
It was the willingness for disobedience. It didn't matter why God said don't touch it. The fact is he said don't touch it. And if God only has our best interests in his mind at all times, which he does, what I mean by that is God, God has humanity's best interest in, in heart when he's doing things, when he's commanded things, when he's, uh, you know, why does he say don't steal? Why does he say, look at the Ten Commandments. Most of those all have to deal with, with, with hurting another person. If you walk in love, you will fulfill the commandments. Jesus said this. Why? Because you won't steal. You won't commit adultery. You won't, uh, you won't fornicate. You won't do things against people, right, if you follow the Ten Commandments. So you, you see that. God's got humanity's interest at heart. See, what the truth is is this. God has a nature, and sin is the exact opposite of God's nature. So when, when mankind chooses to sin, they enter out of, they exit the nature that God created in the bee in his image, his likeness, and they start moving towards a nature that isn't what they were made to be, that isn't like God. And so they're separated from God. If you don't understand, let me give you this. We're going to fast forward a few thousand, oh, well, a bunch of years. We'll just say that because it's a bunch, a bunch of years since, since uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? The days we live in are a culmination of thousands of years of sin perfecting its destruction in humanity. That's what we see today. We see more disease today than we ever have, really, probably, at least than they they have. Uh, 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 Creative diseases, things that were once, uh, you you know, uh, medicines that were once able to take care of things now aren't, stuff like that. But we're we're seeing this, uh, uh, these waves of things. The sin is abounding more and more and more and more. And all of these things are increasing. What is this? This is sin being perfected in its destruction in in, in humanity. The reason we're seeing the breakdown of society um, listen, folks, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but I'm going to tell you the truth. If this society doesn't change, if this society doesn't get God, destruction is its end. Do you understand that? This isn't something that we can passively sit by anymore and say, oh, it's okay. No, continue this way and destruction is the end. We are employed just in the last few years. It is amazing how America just is just collapsing on itself. People can't even, I mean, you can't even get two races together anymore without feeling like there's some kind of uh, awe against each other. And the reason that is there is because uh, people in power and they're, they're after money have stirred this up in people. And so we see this. There isn't, listen, in mo- the majority of people, there is not racism. I don't hate, uh, I, I, don't, I, I can't think of anybody that I hate specifically because of their color. I mean, that's foolish to me. The idea of that is just absurd. The closer I get with God, the more absurd I see it. We go up to our our, our, our church in Canada. There's some friends that we have up there, and they have a church up there. And we go up there, and they have a pretty large church. It's in in Mississauga, so it's right outside Toronto. Uh, I think a church, they seat up to like 400 people, roughly about that. There's all kinds of races and different, and they don't have the, it's not the same as it is here. Like, there's, there, there's, there's more people that are just, you know, they're just easier. It's, like, easier with each other to sit and talk with them. Uh, you know, I, I, there's not that feeling. You know, here there's always, if you've talked to somebody of a different race, there's almost this, this feeling, like, instantly of uncomfortable, well, what if I say something bad or wrong or something like that? See, that doesn't, that, that's a narrative that's been pushed in us. That's not truth. That doesn't make you a racist because you're dealing with that. The majority of people are not, yes, there's loudmouth racists out there and they should be silenced and all that stuff in the sense that they shouldn't just be given platforms. I agree with all that. But the majority of people are good. I mean, let me reel that back. Nobody is good. The Bible tells us that. Because we have a sin nature. But the thing is, what I'm saying is the majority of people want good. You know, in the sense that they, they, don't, want to just, they don't want just destruction on everybody. And I'm not mixing words. You understand. Oh, praise yeah. the Lord. Yeah. Hallelujah. Oh, boy. I almost got myself into a mess there, didn't I? Did I get out pretty good, though? You think so? Yeah, okay. So I'm okay. I'm just making sure because we've got to fix this. If not, I mean, we've got to go into four weeks and we might have to do that anyways. God is not petty. He's not just looking at things like that. But sin entered the human race at that point. Amen. Uh, And the days that we live are the outpouring of that being just perpetuated year after year after year after year. 
2 Timothy 3.13, uh, in fact, sh shares this or tells us about this. It says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And this is, this is actually specifically speaking of the end times, which we are living in. The end times, you might not like to hear that, but it's the truth. Uh, we are living in the end times. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Things are going from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Amen. That's what we're seeing on the, on the world front a lot. Um, hallelujah. I want to move along real quick. So I'm going to bring up one more scripture before I have you turn to some more scriptures. 1 John 5, 3. But look at what the Bible tells us. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, it goes better for us to keep his commandments than it does to not keep them. When God, you know, we preach about this. I preach about this stuff often. I talk about things like, you know, uh, you take things like, like fornication. Fornication is un, unmarried relations with two people, having unmarried sexual relations. That's what fornication is, right? Why is that bad? Because it's out of love. I mean, it's not done in love. People think that it's done in love. But two people acting that way are not acting in love. Because if they were, lo if they were in love, what they would do is they would get married. Because that's what God has ordained. Marriage is God-ordained. That's why it's under attack so much. Don't like, we cannot accept marriage being attacked in the local church. We can't do it. We have to put a, uh, we have to hold marriage to the esteem that it is. Fornication is an act out of love because there's no commitment with fornication. You might say you're committed, but we all know that it's not there. Fornication, what it is, is it's a way of having what you want without what's doing what, what, what's best for it. <clears throat> Listen, it's, it's just the truth. And, and, and this is the thing where, where, where people get so tripped up. This is a big thing in our, in our nation, in our world, is that it's just, uh, you know, that things like sex are just thrown around. But then when we, we see all the problems that happen. We see all the, all, all the issues that arise out of that. And I'm not going to get into all that because of time. But certainly you know what I'm talking about. But, but other commandments, you know, uh, the Bible commands us not to be drunk. And why does it do that? Because you think of all the destruction that has come out of drunkenness. The Bible tells us not to, uh, uh, you know, it, it commands us against witchcraft, which is essentially uh, manipulation of some sort. Witchcraft is manipulation of some sort over the mind of another, making them do something or think something that, isn't, that they don't think or isn't true or to get them to think in a different way. Why is that wrong? Same thing. It's not out of love. So we understand this is the love of God is his commandments and they are not burdensome we live we fare much better when we live a life that's not sinful right. plain and simple why because we were not created to be sinful creatures right. amen now turn with me oh man the time is clicking uh, man was created in the image turn to John 1 and while you're turning to John 1 just go right there John 1 um, man was created in the image and likeness of God. Sin through resistance to that moved him away from God. So sin literally is separating us from God. And this is kind of where I'm going to close here. And I needed to get to this point today. It was very important. Because we have to understand the difference between sin and God. Sin is death. But look what it says here in John 1, 1 through 4. It tells us all about Jesus, but Jesus is, the, 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 Jesus is God. We understand that. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has, has come into being. Now, that, this is important, especially when we'll understand when we get to the next verse. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When you seek after joy and happiness and peace, these things, when you seek after family, maybe creating a family or having a family, or maybe you're separated from family, you want a family, when you want friends, all of these things are pointing to one thing, and that's called life. Life is what God created. God created us with the capacity to love, the capacity for life, to have life. Life is alone found in God. 
And so the reason that uh, sin is an issue, and we're going to get into this more as we talk about it next week and when we start talking about hell and what hell is all about, sin is an issue because it separates us from life. That's what it does. The feelings of depression, depression, uh, and I'm somebody who has, you know, had battled depression so much in my life, so I understand it. I understand it fully. Um, but what depression is, is the opposite of life. Depression's end is death. You understand that, right? If you don't, just talk to somebody who's ever known depression. Depression always points towards death. Makes you want to quit, makes you want to give up, makes you want to die, makes you want to do all these horrible things, right? Depression's end is death because that's, that's what the, the purpose of it is. But uh, God is life. It's, so it's only in God that we discover true life. Sin separates us from God, therefore separates us from life. You can sin, but death is going to be your reign. Death is going to be the thing that you embrace. Amen? And so God's presence is life. Death is the exact opposite of that. And I'm going to close here with this scripture, Romans 6, 23. <clears throat> For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is life, sin is death. It is, it is death because it is the nature opposite of God. Yeah. If we can understand that. Sin causes death not because God removes life, Sin causes death because it separates us from God. Now, when we get into more, we're going to get down maybe understanding of why God allowed death. Because death is actually a blessing to the human race, yeah. believe it or not. Amen? But sin, so we understand that, always causes death. It creates death. That's what it is. It's death. Amen? And so if we decide to enter into to sin or we decide to embrace sin, what we are also embracing by default is death. It's not God's fault, but we do have a hand in playing in it. Amen?